This is Invest Talk. Independent thinking, shared success. Justin Klein and Steve Peasley stand ready to take your finance and investment questions and share their unbiased answers. Invest Talk is made possible by KPP Financial, a registered investment advisor firm serving clients throughout the United States. The clarity for your path forward starts now. Here is KPP Chief Executive Officer, Financial Advisor, Justin Klein. Good afternoon, fellow investors, and welcome back to Invest Talk. This is our Wednesday, July 26, 2023 edition. I'm Justin Klein, and I'm here today excited to help you, help you take that next step in your journey towards financial freedom. And it's about put, taking that next step to make sure that your capital is allocated properly, that you're making the most of that capital and your time that you put into doing this. And that means eliminating counterproductive habits, stopping, stop letting emotions dictate your decision-making process. And this is all somewhat difficult, but in some ways it's easy once you get the hang of it, once you get the hang of the process and mainly the mindset. And that's really what we're going to discuss a lot today is really the mindset that is, goes into becoming a better investor, becoming a disciplined investor. Okay. And so this show is about you and your questions. You bring them to the table. Our phone lines are always open, 888-99-CHART. And my job is to give you my unbiased perspective and data that I have developed over 20 plus years of doing this. And in the end, hopefully we help you take that next step in your journey towards financial freedom. So phone lines are open. They never close at 888-989-CHART. Now, my main focus point today looks in the story behind this question. How will artificial intelligence affect, <clears throat> excuse me, affect investing? So we're going to look at three different disciplines within the investing realm and what impacts it will have on portfolio managers, financial advisors, investment research, etc. All right. Now, time permitting, I have some other <clears throat> items on the docket. One is in regards to the housing market. Has the housing recession already happened? Has it already happened? Also, consumers are feeling more upbeat. Why might that be? So we're going to look at that. And then lastly, we're going to look at the Binance platform, what's happening over there, what regulators are saying about the, the crypto uh, space on that front. So those are the things that are on the docket for me. But ultimately, this is about you and what's on your mind. And we're going to get to your voice bank questions. One is on Riley, R-I-L-Y, Riley B Financial, as well as investment strategy. And we have all this planned for this episode of Invest Talk. And of course, most importantly, your live calls at 888-99 chart. Now let's take a look at the market today. It was a it is Fed Day. Happy Fed Day to everybody out there. You had a lot of market gyrations up and down, and it was mainly a flat day. Uh, I, I thought this was a fairly boring Fed announcement. It didn't really change the odds of a Fed rate hike in September, which remains relatively low, right around the 70, high 70% chance that there's going to be a pause in September. And the data or the, the message from Powell was, yeah, we're going to be data dependent. They're happy with the, the, 
the trends in the economy overall, it seems. Uh, they do see growth modestly slowing, uh, but a, a relatively robust or solid labor market, although modestly weakening, which they have, they have uh, admitted. But they were pretty happy with the inflation rate ebbing down to that 3% level. But as always, they say we're data dependent, but it was pretty clear, it continues to be clear that they're probably erring on the side of a pause in September. And that was right along the lines of what the market was expecting. So that's why you didn't really get a big move one way or the other. Broad US market was up 0.02%. Small caps did the best. They were up about half a percent. Large cap growth down about half a percent. Large cap value up about half a percent. So about a 1% difference there. Small cap value did very well today, up one and a quarter percent. And so very interesting day in the markets or Fed day. Not a whole lot of movement one way or the other. And we continue to see the start of this trend back towards the value side of the market. You see banks doing well, industrials, uh, energy, Basic materials, all those are starting to reassert their uptrend after a a tough first half of the year, whereas the growthier side of the market that's having a a tougher uh, sled going forward here over the past uh, six weeks or so. So very interesting uh, market and continuing follow through on that front. Now let's head over to our first listener question now. Hey, Justin and Steve. This is Rob in New York, and I am calling about QQQ. Uh, With these index funds that are tracking the market and don't necessarily have their own particular earnings, um, what is the best possible way of gauging when a good entry point is since they're kind of weighting themselves along with the market? Do you wait for a a large pullback or do you kind of just dollar cost average as it continues to rise? I'd love to hear your feedback. Thanks. Yeah, I mean, these are difficult when you're looking at just a a fund and – some of those stocks you might like, some of them you might not like. I, I try to think of them more in their style factors, uh, where you know you if you invest in the Qs, those are growthier names. So is growth improving or is it uh, starting to weaken relative to the broad index? And the Qs have certainly been weakening, although they were str- strong for the first half of the year. That's starting to shift. This is part of that narrative I'm talking about, and that that trend change you're really starting to see. You started to see in the month of June. Uh, so. Uh, but longer term, you have to then pick which is the index that's more right for you, the style factor that you rather be exposed to. Is it the growth side? Is it something that's more of a blend? Like the S&P is going to be a blend. It has a, It's leaning on the growth side because it's market cap weighted and all those names are, are so highly valued. Uh, but at times it can. In the early 2000s, for example, it was... Uh, it, it was more leading on the value side. Exxon was the largest uh, name in the world uh, by market cap. And so that one was, uh, it, back then, the SP was leaning on that side. So, But the S&P is always going to be more of a blend, whereas Qs are going to be uh, very high, very focused on the growth, tech side, growth side of the market. Uh, or, or maybe you want to own the Dow. That's more of your industrial names, right? The, the, the leading more on the value side, dividend payers, et cetera. Very small, only 30 names, et cetera. But that's the way I would think about it. And then you want to probably just dollar cost average, you know, timing wise, you're never going to get it right. You're never going to pick the bottom. You're never going to pick the top. It's very difficult to do that. No one ever does that. So it's just about the strategy and it's, it's zooming out, understanding what your port, what you want your portfolio to look like and why aligning that with your goals, aligning that with your risk tolerance level, and then slowly continuing to allocate to that. Once again, getting cute, trying to time the top and the bottom, 
that's not a, a, a worthwhile endeavor to, to deal with. Um, so it's about creating that broad strategy that makes sense for you. And then, yeah, probably dollar cost averaging in over time. But queues are not the place that I would, uh, I, I would be doing that. Okay. All right. Let's head over to our first break right now. And a reminder that our Invest Talk Sector Spotlight is now free and it's over on our YouTube channel. It's about technology sector and it's rapid innovation. We discuss AI, blockchain, cloud computing, and software as a service. It's part of the new Invest Talk Sector Spotlight series, which you can find now over on YouTube. My phone lines are open, waiting for your questions at 888 chart When listener questions are played on the Invest Talk podcast, how do you guys determine a value stock? The caller voices are amplified many thousands of times. Just wanted to get your opinion on JP Morgan and BAC. How do you see this uh, looking forward? I'm 25 years old and have a question about retirement funds. And the unbiased answers from Justin Klein. That's why it's trading so cheap because there's a lot of regulatory risk. And Steve Peasley. I, I kind of like it here. If I was going to buy Tyson Food, this is where I'd buy it benefit the entire invest talk community thank you for what you guys do that's why 24 7 rain or shine no matter how simple or how complex your questions make a difference symbol bke what's your outlook and invest talk is made better by the power of you so don't forget to call 888-99-CHART Justin Klein and Steve Peasley are ready to take on your finance and investment questions. So don't forget to call Invest Talk 888-99-CHART. 888-99-CHART, 888-992-4278 is how you get through and ask your question on today's show. Now, we're our focus point is highlighting this question. How will artificial intelligence affect investing. And this is a hot topic. And we know AI is going to impact various industries in various ways, some very little, some almost completely. And investing is one of those areas that obviously technology throughout the last 50, 60 years has really changed the way that investing is done, both uh, on a small scale and individual level, as well as on a large scale, we're talking about large funds, okay? And you can just go back to the last internet boom, the tech bubble, we call it 1.0. We're kind of in the process of uh, bursting up the tech bubble 2.0. Uh, but back then, the consensus view was that the internet was going to be mainly a place where the big companies were doing B2B business, right? Uh, businesses servicing other businesses. And that was the consensus. But we know that's wrong. Why? Because if you look at the 10 largest companies in the tech space, the four largest, sorry, the four largest, Microsoft, Amazon, Alphabet, Meta, uh, and Apple, so five largest, Meta's, or sorry, not, Microsoft's pretty much the only one that gets most of its revenue from businesses. Okay? So, this is a new technology that is going to continue to evolve. And oftentimes the consensus early on is wrong. 
Uh, and so certainly uh, it bears watching and studying and you have to be very flexible in your view on how and what this will affect. Okay. Now let's take a look at three different prongs that will, or three different parts of investing that will be affected. Now, the first are portfolio managers. Now, in the early 80s, there were several quants, you know, quant funds. They used technology, they used these big, large, powerful computers, although by today's standards, they're very weak, but they were, they were strong enough and fast enough back then to mine a lot of huge databases and exploit major differences. However, over just a few years, the fund performance reverted to their mean. Why? Because any decent size money manager could do the same thing, right? They mimicked exactly what these quants were doing. They were able to uh, access large databases, uh, mine them for proper data, and the efficiency of the markets, you know, which they're not perfectly efficient, but they can be if enough people have en enough access to similar tools. That competitive advantage was kind of the run-of-the-mill type of technology that most, uh, most of them had, okay? And so this process is likely to be the same with AI, meaning there's, there's going to be, and we're pers personally, KP, we're actually looking into ways to use, utilize AI as well, uh, but there's going to be breakthroughs on how to utilize AI in the portfolio management process, but it's very likely that, that those tools will simply be imitated and used widely. So that's probably how it's gonna, what it's gonna be for portfolio managers. And so the longer term trends are probably not gonna move very much. Short term, maybe, long term, probably not. Now, financial advisors, this is where I think AI could help a lot more. And when I say financial advisors, more that are doing financial plans. And right now, we do this, we, we, we managed uh, portfolios, so we're in some ways we're portfolio managers, but we're also financial advisors, we do, do financial plans for clients. So we do a little bit of both of these. Um, whereas AI tools can be used to come up with solutions for maybe more complex pro problems, things that are, are not easily deciphered by some sort of basic calculation. Most of the software is some sort of forward extrapolation of the data that you put in. So if you put in bad data, the computer is going to calculate it a certain way, and it's not the computer's fault or the algorithm's fault that you put in bad data. But in the, uh, the, in the planning process, there's a lot of unknowns that AI may be able to solve. And so I think that's probably where the low-hanging fruit will come from and where AI will improve upon it is uh, basically utilizing all the data that AI can, can, uh, can mine and come up with, fill in the holes where you, you just can't really uh, make those proper guesses uh, currently. Okay. Now on the investment research side, this is where I think there might be more breakthrough. Why? Because most research today is taking current existing ideas, maybe cobbling them together, doing uh, some studies, things like that. But in, AI can take all the investment research studies throughout history and come up with new ways <clears throat> of intertangling them and coming up with even newer ideas. So I think on the investment research side, I think that's where the breakthroughs will come. All right. I think that's 
means we are headed into a break. I welcome your finance and investment questions right now. No question is too simple or too complex. Gene from North Carolina, hang on. You will be next on Invest Talk at 888 chart. One of the most rewarding things I do each weekday is host the Invest Talk podcast. I truly enjoy helping investors. And I know that every question counts and every answer I provide will be unbiased. You, the caller, get to chart the course for each Invest Talk podcast. Call with your questions anytime, day or night, 888 99Chart. Let's go to Gene in North Carolina. Let's talk about bond investing. Yes, thank you, Justin, for taking my call. No you problem. recently spoke about investing in bonds in a recent, uh, in a recent show of yours, and I had one or two questions about it. Okay. Um, in general, I'm paraphrasing. I, I think you mentioned that traditionally you need at least six figures. I guess that means 100000 to to be able to efficiently invest in individual bonds, not, not, not mutual funds or ETFs and bonds. That, mm-hmm. that, did I get that correct? Yeah, I mean, it depends on the type of bonds. Treasuries, you can buy uh, smaller amounts and not pay large spreads and things like that. But if you're buying... You know, higher yielding issues, taking credit risk of any type, uh, corporate bonds, for example, then you're probably going to be buying most of the time five to $10,000 per bond. And then if you want to uh, provide proper diversity of duration as well as risk, then you want to spread that out between probably at least 10, probably closer to 20 different issues. Um, so that's why you, you probably want, uh, you probably want $100,000 or more. Yeah, that's that sounds like that. You actually answered my next question. That that would I concluded from that you would that you you're thinking about ten thousand to twenty thousand per bond to properly form a bond ladder. I believe you mentioned that. You, yeah, that, exactly. That's the amount yep. in each in each individual bond. The last question I had for you is that so right now I'm investing in some individual bonds and I'm doing that doing that uh, on my own. Using uh, my discount brokerage mm-hmm. firm, just mm-hmm. like where I would where I would trade mutual funds or stocks, mm-hmm. is that the best platform? I don't know if that's the right word vehicle for me to to be able to trade individual bonds, or is there something better for do-it-yourself small investor like myself? For yeah, bonds? there really isn't on the institutional side. We're, for example, we're an institution, and we are able to use different platforms. Yeah, market you used to access. Use market is, access. You mentioned. Yeah, market access. Among others, it's we, we have access to a handful, and we can price out the bonds on different platforms and things like that. But we aggregate them, and, and often, we're, oftentimes, we're buying six, oftentimes seven figures uh, per uh, purchase, and we're able to aggregate that with other mutual funds and ETFs and hedge funds and things like that, and get better prices than most individuals are going to get on the bonds because it was called a spread. Typically, when you're buying a stock, right, there's a one, two, three cent spreads. So the spreads are very minor, whereas bonds, the, the spreads can be a couple dollars wide, which from a yield to maturity or yield to worth standpoint can uh, move at 100 basis points uh, sometimes. <clears throat> um, so it's, it's usually better. Uh, we get better pricing as an institution, but as an individual, yeah, it's challenging to get great prices. Uh, and your broker is actually, that's one big way these brokers are making good money now is they actually make pretty good spreads on individual investors that are trying to buy and sell bonds. Thanks for the call. Let's go to Mark in San Diego. He's looking at principal financial group. 
Yeah, we did it through my wife's work at a discount. It's built mm-hmm. up to about 10% of our, uh, basically, the stock shares in our balanced portfolio. So mm-hmm. thinking of selling it off uh, because it's almost at an all-time high. and But I'm not quite sure where it would be a good sell point and pay off the condo type of thing. Okay, I'm assuming your wife works for principal? Yeah, she does. Okay. So is this a large percentage of your your nest egg, your retirement account? Nest egg is about, it's about 10%. We're looking to retire in three years, and we could actually okay. pay off a condo in full. Of course, we would have to pay taxes on the yeah. end of this. So yeah. Yeah. Yeah, well, principal, this has certainly rebounded from the recent lows during the banking crisis, around sixty-three to three dollars. Now it's at eighty-four ten, still off. It's about twelve percent off. It's fifty-two week high of ninety-six seventeen. Uh, but principal, it's a very good company for everyone else out there. What they do is they provide global investment management offering for businesses, individuals, and institutional clients. So they have mutual funds, but they also do a lot of retirement plan uh, administering. Uh, and so they're one of the largest out there and it's a very good business and they consistently make more and more money. It's not a huge grower, but it's a consistent grower and it's trading at modest valuation to its forward looking earnings. It's supposed to make $7 and 56 cents next year, up 13% Analysts are upgrading those earnings expectations. And a lot of it has to do with, Hey, equities and bond prices are just, uh, going higher. So, and they make a percentage of that. And so, uh, they have a very, very solid business with good cash flows. And this is actually on our short list of potential buys in the financial services space. So on, I think it's in our, in our top, definitely in our top 10 within the financial services space. So we like this name. Uh, I would say it's about fairly valued. I wouldn't say it's overvalued, uh, at all. Um, so it just depends from a timing perspective. Is it, a better time to be selling now than it was just a few months ago. Absolutely. Uh, but I wouldn't be in a huge hurry because the relative strength is pretty solid right at 70 and the chart, uh, just continues to, uh, power to the upside. So I wouldn't be in a huge hurry to sell it. Uh, cause I, I, I still like the name. Now the resistance, big resistance does come in right around $87 per share. Um, so that's the next place where if I were to sell some, that's probably where I would do it. Okay. Thanks for the call, but I like what you're thinking about, right? You're uh, going into retirement, thinking about paying off debt on uh, your your homes, maybe second home, getting rid of uh, as much debt as you possibly can, and trying to cash in at an opportune time after this rally. Uh, but I wouldn't be super quick to do it just because I think it's a good company and there's still probably more upside in the near term. Now, in the next Invest Talk, we'll look into the story behind this headline, how home, price, home prices continue to climb with striking regional differences. And we're going to get that story tomorrow. But for now, I'm Justin Klein and ready to take your questions live at 888-99-CHART. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It is official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly so there's no limit to how far you can take it. 
brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs. eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. At this point, I think almost everyone has heard how generative AI promises to bring us to the next industrial revolution. AI is already shaping society with an impact on daily life that echoes the transformative significance of electricity or the internet. As we take steps to embrace the potential of generative AI, we need to remain vigilant with regard to its exploitability. This is where HackerOne comes in. HackerOne's AI Red Team addresses the novel challenges of AI safety and security for businesses that are launching new AI deployments. The HackerOne approach involves targeted offensive testing by harnessing the collective skills of ethical hackers who are proficient in AI and prompt hacking. In short, AI red teaming is the practice of stress testing AI models and deployments to make sure they can't be tricked into providing information beyond their intended use, and that security flaws can't be exploited to access confidential data or systems. HackerOne seamlessly integrates with your existing tools to enhance communication and collaboration across development, security, and IT teams. So, stay ahead of the game in the battle against cyber threats with HackerOne's Attack Resistance Platform. Learn more at HackerOne.com. That's H-A-C-K-E-R-O-N-E.com. HackerOne.com. The stock market is volatile. It's constantly changing. So how are you positioned? Is your portfolio properly balanced or are you taking unnecessary risks? You can get guidance anytime for free if you go to investtalk.com and take the brief Riskalyze quiz. Now, is the housing recession behind us? And that's kind of the indicator from the recent announcements on earnings, on consumer or home builder sentiment. And that recently came out on Tuesday. And it reported that the index industry sentiment rose to 56 in July from 55 last month. And that's up from the 31 recorded just in December. So in seven months or so, it's gone from very depressed to mildly positive. And that's really what you're seeing here is it's not, they're not head over heels about the market. Uh, and this is, remember, this is just the home builders. Uh, but the home builders are remaining relatively upbeat. You have construction starts at 1.44 million homes in June on a seasonally adjusted annualized basis. And that's the second quarter average of 1.45. That's up from the first quarter average of 1.39. And it marks the first quarterly increase since the beginning of last year. And if you look at the Atlanta's GDP tracker, the Atlanta Fed GDP tracker, it says that residential investment grew 0.1% in the second quarter year uh, month or quarter over quarter. Modest amount, 
but it's the first gain since the first quarter of 2021. So it just shows you that hey, it's it's no longer declining. It's going for a long period of struggling, and now we've kind of leveled out. And if you look at the number of building permits, it suggests that growth in residential investment in the third quarter will be positive as well. And if you look at earnings announcements, like the largest home builder in the country, DR Horton, they expect to close 82,000, but we're between 82,800 and 83,300 homes in the fiscal year ending in September. So this is their fiscal fourth quarter. That's up from a previous forecast of 77,000 to 80,000 total. So they continue to see a robust market for their new homes. Now, on Thursday, the National Association of Realtors said that there were just 1.08 million homes for sale last month. That's compared to 1.92 million in June of 2019, six months before, or I call it nine months before the pandemic. And <clears throat> home building activity before then was pretty lackluster, and that's adding to this problem. And because of a tight labor market, it's hard for these home builders to really kick up supply in a big, big way, but they're doing it enough to provide good earnings and new inventory that the existing home market just isn't providing. Now, housing currently is providing a modest boost, boost to GDP in this quarter. And so it's really hard to have a major bad recession with the housing market, or at least the new home market, re remaining decent because of how many people new homes employ. When you're building homes, that employs a lot of people from salespeople to design to uh, the actual builders, raw materials, etc. Much more than a transaction of an existing home because there's not a whole lot of people involved in that. You might have some renovations, you might have some small work, but nothing too major. Just a handful of people uh, is needed to get a house ready for sale and get it through completion. Whereas a new home, obviously that takes dozens and dozens of people and work, okay? And so that's why it's very hard to see and probably why you see, you see the economy remain relatively res resilient. And now what you're seeing is that mortgage rates continue to no longer go up. They're, they're flattening out, kind of finding this, this uh, comfort zone in the mid sixes, uh, around 7%. And that's no longer a headwind. If you look year over year, you're starting to get to uh, almost a full year now where mortgage rates have been this high. And so <clears throat> what you're seeing is that, that the housing market is starting to have a modest acceleration. Will that continue? I think a lot depend on where rates go uh, and whether the broader uh, the broader labor market remains pretty strong, which provides jobs and paychecks for people to continue to buy those new homes. Now let's pivot back to the, uh, let's, let's keep things moving and pivot back to the Vestock Voice Bank that came in earlier from a listener in Washington, D.C. at 888-99-CHART. Hi, Steve and Justin. This is Brandon in Washington, D.C. Looking at the different bank earnings, wanted to hear your thoughts on B. Riley Financial, ticker R-I-L-Y. Forward to your comments. Thank you. All right. B R I B. Sorry. B Riley Financial. R I L Y is the symbol. And this is a small cap name, only about a $1.6 billion market cap, 6.8% yield. And it has been on a nice rebound along with the full, uh, the, the full financial sector over the past three months or so. Its low was around. 
$25 per share. Now we're at $59 per share. And that $25 per share was just in the spring, early spring, March timeframe. So it's had a huge, huge rally. And what they do is they provide, let's see, asset disposition, valuation and appraisal, capital advisory services. Uh, so they're a very small, diversified investment bank, really. And they do some advisement for high net worth clients. Uh, they do, they service uh, corporations, they do some investment banking, they they do a lot of different things. But they're, once again, they're very, very small, and their business prospects are all over the place. They're in $16.78 in 2021, but lost $2.77 last year. And that's my issue, and I think you're a little late to the game on uh, this move, all right? It's over doubled in the past four months, and the, the, it is strong, but you did have good volume today i'm not sure if that was earnings that may have been earnings i'm not sure a huge volume the biggest volume since the sell-off during the banking crisis in march and that usually marks an exhaustion uh, blow off top and i think you you saw that today um so i'm not buying it at, at these levels you're probably chasing that 6.8 percent yield but they do have a lot of debt in their balance sheet and i don't think it's cheap and i don't like the lack of consistency of their business, okay? So that's why I would pass on B. Riley Financial, R-I-L-E-Y. Now, every now and then, I like to play two in a row, so let's do that now from a caller in Ohio. Hey, Steve and Justin. Uh, calling from Ohio, longtime listener, love the show. I had a question on a strategy I recently heard about. It has to do with tax loss harvesting. Let's say that I uh, have purchased SPY, could I sell it in a taxable account and then repurchase something like VOO or RSP before the 30-day wash rule and use that as a uh, tax benefit if it is to grow moving forward? Thanks, and uh, appreciate all you guys do. I am not a CPA, so I hate giving tax advice, but I do know some basic rules around this stuff. And the answer is no. You cannot repurchase it in your name in a Roth or other type of account. And even if it's a different symbol, right, the SPY and the VOO, they are both tracking the S&P 500. So the by the spirit of the law, the you're buying essentially the same thing. Okay. Now, that is on the fund level. Now, if you are buying individual stocks, you're talking about individual stocks, there's an argument that say you trade out of Exxon and you buy Chevron. Yes, they're both energy companies, but these are two different companies. Sure, same industry, but different companies. And you can do something like that, but you cannot do it with a fund that is essentially tracking the same set of investments. Now, could you go buy VTI versus SPY, right? Because that's the total stock market index and that's something different. There's a lot of correlation there. There's an argument. I think that's something that you could argue with the, with the, the IRS that that is different enough, but it's kind of up to the IRS to determine that. Uh, but definitely you can't buy the uh, anything that's tracking the exact same thing as the one that you took a loss on, that would be a wash sale. So uh, I know you probably don't want to hear that, uh, but 
from my understanding, based on what I've seen from, a ta- from tax professionals and, and what, everything I've read and what everything I heard from the IRS, that's kind of how it works. All right. Thanks for the call. Now we're in a roll. Let's make it three in a row from Invest Talk at 888 chart. Hello, Stephen Justin. Here is Marco from Switzerland. I would like to ask your take on Palantir, PLTR, last quarter. It turned profitable, and there's a lot of headlines of uh, deals that this company is making. Seems to have a bright future on the AI technology. I would love to hear your opinion on the stock. Thank you. All right, Palantir, and yes, it has become profitable, but still, I'm mean, trading at twenty. It's supposed to make twenty-four cents a share next year, and it's a sixteen-dollar stock. You're still talking about a forward-looking multiple in the 70s. That's pretty expensive. If you go to measures like price-sales ratio, 17 times, and they still haven't been able to earn a positive economic profit, meaning the return on assets, return on equity remains negative. And if you look at the shares outstanding, those continue to power to the upside. Now, the positive is they are producing positive free cash flow, but it's a 1% Cash flow yield, still very low. I think the, the valuations here are way too high. Uh, I, I don't buy into that they are going to be this leader in AI or anything like that. And that's going to suddenly power their business to growth that uh, probably ha- we haven't seen in uh, many decades or, or in a couple decades, right? Since maybe Amazon or, or Google's uh, rise. And you could say maybe they're the next one. And that, that, that's a bet on that. That's, that's, but it's a very long shot bet. Could that be the case? Sure, but I would not be betting on it because the vast majority of these companies that trade at these level of valuations never grow into this level of valuation. So no, it's uh, rebounded with the broader tech space, but uh, as has happened with a lot of the, uh, the growth side of the market that's starting to show relative weakness and it's doing the same right now with the chart, you're starting to uh, see the MACD roll over in a big way. So I'm passing on Palantir, especially at these valuation levels. All right. Now let's touch a bit on the housing. Uh, we just talked about that. We talked about the housing recession. I'm sorry. Let's talk about Binance. The Binance, uh, the SEC is coming after Binance. Let's just say that, uh, which is, you know, the SEC is really putting a, a big spotlight on these crypto companies especially the crypto exchanges and the ones that are operating in a very unregulated market. And they're trying to decipher if the activities there are above board. And it's pretty clear based on their allegations that Binance, since they were launched in 2019, hasn't been operating above board. They've been doing a lot of related party transactions and wash trading and this is when they facilitate transactions either with themselves or an affiliate and what this does is it inflates both the prices of the assets that are being traded and the trading volumes and the u.s outlawed wash trading for stocks and bonds a century ago and we know that this happens all the time in the crypto markets especially and this is especially bad because this is a big part of the sell is that, hey, look at how many people are interested in the crypto space. Look at the volume that is happening with 
these transactions on these exchanges. The problem is, is that it's very hard to know in this opaque market that, uh, that, that each transaction is from a legit buyer and seller. And so the SEC sued Zhao and Binance last month, alleging the firm that he controlled, we call him Z, let's call him Z, uh, they inflated trading volumes on their exchange. And they said that several Binance employees conducted what are called Sigma chain operation under Z's direction. And this accounted for up to 70% of trading volume for at least one of the tokens exchanges uh, 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 traded on the exchange. And the exchange exchanges orders aren't archived on a public domain and aren't overseen by regulators. And so that's why it's taken a long time for them to really shed some light on it. And if you look at a study from the Journal of Management Science, they also see that over 70% of trading volume on crypto exchanges come from wash, wash trading. And that was just looking at the second half of 2019 when things are going well. And in a lot of ways, since then, they have not gone well and there's even more incentive for them to fudge the numbers. Okay. And so... This is just another shot across the bow after what happened with uh, SBF. And it just shows you that there's a lot of smoke and mirrors and a lot of, do I say too good to be true? Yeah, just a lot of lies within the space. And that's why I have always been very skeptical, skeptical of crypto because I knew that the government wasn't going to sit idly by and just allow them to manipulate the numbers, manipulate their users, and, and sell a dream and sell a narrative when in reality uh, on the ground is that there's just not a lot of substance behind what has been put out there. Now, could there be in the future? Is there promise? Is there potential for there to be legit tools and legit ways for crypto to improve lives and improve the financial system? Absolutely. But 99% of what's out there just hasn't done that yet. It's been a lot more narrative and promise than actual, uh, actual true innovation that is improving lives. All right. Now, this is Invest Talk. I'm Justin Klein. We have one goal here is to help you achieve your own version of financial freedom. And our work continues after this final break. So get your questions in now at 888 chart Everybody wants a secure financial future, but getting there takes strategy, discipline, and the right information. Justin Klein is ready to provide his unbiased answers. So don't forget to call InvestTalk, 888-99-CHART. Hello, this is Sue from New Jersey. I'd appreciate your take on Medical Properties Trust. The ticker symbol is MP. W. Thanks. Bye-bye. All right. Now, this, this should be a lesson to everyone out there. Uh, if you go back and listen to this, every episode over the past year, I probably have had roughly a dozen calls on this name. And for everyone out there, this Medical Properties Trust, it's a REIT. And 
it's been in major decline. It peaked in the beginning of 2022 around $25 per share, hit a recent low around $7.10, and now it's at 10.62. It is rallying uh, a good amount since that low, but still down dramatically from that $25 high. And people have been calling about it. Why? Because it's always paid a pretty nice dividend yield, and they think, oh, hey, it is medical properties. That's a safe investment. I'm getting seven, eight, nine, and now 10, 11% based on the current, uh, current yield and the current price. However, and I've said this consistently, is that their top two tenants, I believe it's roughly in the low 40% of their revenue, comes from two tenants that are in major financial trouble. So there's major counterparty risk that those two tenants will no longer pay. They have to renegotiate their, their leases or uh, just leave those properties altogether. And that throws a major wrench in uh, their medical properties trust cash flow. They've actually lent money to these, uh, these I believe they're hospital groups that are, are struggling. And so there's extra risk there as well. So it's just been a very high risk Endeavor, and that's why it continues to to fall. Now it has rallied recently. I think they've those, one of those two entities is doing a little bit better and and uh, amended their their lending facility, if I'm remembering correctly. Uh, but it's still overall in bad shape. But the the lesson more broadly here is that people kind of come to the same conclusions. The average investor comes to the same conclusions based on similar aspects and most often that is wrong because a lot of people have been chasing this name and think of all the people that have been buying this name all the way down and have been continuing to losing losing money when they think it's a safe investment they think they're getting a nice yield when they're just losing money <laughs> right even if you bought well off the highs of twenty five dollars you're still probably down fifty forty fifty percent unless you bought it over the past few months yeah now you're up now but there's always these counter trend rallies. So just a lesson here that don't chase the yield. Don't think that that yield is going to be maintained. In fact, it's likely to be cut, especially if those two companies go bankrupt and their cash flows are majorly affected. Remember, always focus not on the yield that you're getting, but where is that yield coming from? Is that yield sustainable based on the business or assets that the company has? Or in this case, the REIT. So uh, I'm definitely passing on Medical Properties Trust. Now let's keep things moving and squeeze in one last question on Best Talk right now. Hi, Stephen Justin, longtime listener here. I've got a question about NVIDIA stock, NVDA. Be interested in what you think is an entry point for NVIDIA or if it's a good investment at all. Thanks. Yeah, the simple answer is no. Uh, this is way, 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 way overpriced. And this is caught up in the in the hype of AI. Uh, and if you look at their forward-looking um, earnings expectations of $10 per share, it's at 45 times, right? 45 times. When revenues last quarter were down 13%, earnings were down 20%. And I think it's just way overhyped. Uh, and this is a name that consistently gets overhyped. Remember when it was all about crypto mining and that was going to be a, a big revenue driver? Well, where do you think all those chips are going now? They're probably going into you know, you know, the AI space. And there's a lot of just a lot of NVIDIA chips out there. 
uh, and people aren't buying PC games nearly as much. Um, so it's still a good business. It's just drastically overvalued at these levels. Where would I, where would I buy it? $150 per share. Now it's at $450. Thanks for the call. Now, I think that about does it. I'm Justin Klein. This is another Invest Talk program. Steve and I thank you for listening. We encourage you to tell your friends and family about our free podcast downloads, which you can find anytime at iTunes, Spotify, or Google Play. And be sure to rate and review. We've now achieved over more than 54 million downloads since it all began, thanks to you. Independent thinking, shared success. This is Invest Talk. Good night. Invest Talk is a trademark of KPP Financial. Because of the nature of the interactive dialogue inherent in the format of this program, it's important for the listener to understand that not all comments made will apply to them. Specifically, nothing said shall be taken to be investment advice, or shall statements on this program be considered an offer to buy or sell security. Because such advice is rendered solely on an individual basis, and at times will require that the investor review a prospectus before investing. InvestTalk is a copyrighted program of Klein, Pavlis, and Peasley Financial, a registered investment advisor firm which retains all rights. For more information regarding KPP's investment advisors, call 1-800-557-5461. Steve Peasley is president and Justin Klein is chief executive officer of Klein, Pavlis, and Peasley Financial. Thank you for listening, and your comments and questions are welcome on our 24-hour listener line at 888-99-CHART.